It is a special Sunday as we celebrate Promotion Day, an Education Sunday. Now, as I look out over here, I suspect most of you didn't promote today. But we have some children and youth that promoted and are excited about what is in front of them. And we're going to share in a special time as we uh, give Bibles out to our first and sixth graders at the end of the service today. But on this day, uh, annually, we take a moment to, uh, to bless our teachers, to pray for our educators, and, and all that that means. We have Sunday school teachers that do an incredible job every week of teaching children and adults and students of all ages, and we celebrate them and their ministry and work. Obviously, tomorrow, I believe OU gets underway. Our Norman Public Schools start this week. Our private schools are starting. Homeschoolers are starting. So it is a good time to just step back and say, you know what? We appreciate the work of our educators. We celebrate what they do and how they invest in our students. We want to pray for our students as, uh, as they begin this journey of this year of learning and uh, so it's a special day. You know, at First Baptist, we take seriously uh, the, the command to teach and to disciple and to instruct our children and each other in, in the Scriptures. And so today, as we hand out Bibles to our first and our sixth graders, uh, for those that are visiting, you may not know, it, that's just half of our expression of, of investing Scripture in the lives of our children. We present our families when, the, uh, when their babies are born born, we have a time of dedication, we present a Bible. In first and sixth grade, as they make those significant transitions, we present a Bible. At high school graduation, uh, we present our students a Bible, because each step along the way, we want them to know how important it is to be students of God's Word. And so we certainly take that as the big umbrella of what we do and talk about today. Would you turn with me to, to 1 Timothy? I know you've heard scripture that's, that's considered our text for today, but, but have that there. And as we begin this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember the name of your first grade teacher? Quite a few. So I, I wasn't real impressed with the, the, the other crowd. There were some younger folks over there. And, and wow, look at this group here, choir Y'all remember? I did too. I'm surprised. I'm proud of myself. I remember that long ago, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Hilliard. We were, as you know, I grew up in Air Force Brad, and we were in El Paso, Texas. Um, you might say, well, there's not an Air Force base there. Well, there's a story to that. You can come and talk to me. Um, but we were in El Paso, Texas. I was in first grade, and Mrs. Hilliard was, was my teacher. And I think she got a little frustrated with us there after a while. And she came in one day and she handed out, and you probably, you couldn't do this today, but, but she handed out these little, well, what they were, were M&Ms. And she handed them out to us. And she said, now put these up at the top corner of your desk. And she said, these are smart pills. <laughs> we said, no, Mrs. Hilliard, those are M&Ms. And she said, oh, no. When they come into this classroom, they are smart pills. And she said, whenever you're studying and you just, need, you just feel a little sluggish and you just need a little extra help, she said, you take one of those smart pills and, and, uh, and it'll help. Now, there's all kinds of bad psychology with that, but as a first grader, that was pretty impressive. And I'll never forget Mrs. Hilliard and those M&Ms. Second grade, Mrs. Baeza. Now, she was the first teacher, and I know my wife's here, she was the first teacher that I had a crush on. 
Now, I don't know, you know, it was a long time ago. I suspect maybe she was just right out of college and she was, she was young. And, and I just remember all the guys in the class, we just thought she was the best thing ever. And we loved Mrs. Baeza. Now, Mrs. Bell in third grade, she's the first time that I had the teacher. Oh, you have her? She was the mean teacher. She was the teacher that had the reputation. She was the disciplinary and teacher. And uh, wow, I remember Mrs. Bell. We behaved in that class. But she taught us too. And she instructed us. Now we moved in fourth grade and, and I had Mr. Dean. And Mr. Dean was the first male. Uh, he was a, our homeroom teacher. And we had several classes with him. But, but I'll never forget Mr. Dean. And it was in fourth grade, I think it was fourth grade, that we had the talk. Now, not that talk, but the other talk, the talk that probably all fourth grade, fifth grade teachers offer their class at some point, and that's the talk that comes after recess one day when the teacher looks at you and says, now boys, y'all are growing up, and it's time to start using deodorant. <laughs> so I went home and I told mom, I said, we well, got to go get deodorant, mom, because my Mr. Dean or my teacher says that we need it. Fifth grade, Mrs. Kolke, I've shared some stories about her. She was a music minister's wife that was a wonderful teacher. And in addition to the curriculum, which she was very good at teaching, she said, boys, I want to teach you about life too. And I'm going to teach you about manners. And I'm going to teach you how to be polite. And so she began, that was her goal during that fifth grade year, was to help us to become nice young gentlemen. And so she taught us and she had a passion for that. I remember in seventh grade, I had uh, my first coach, Coach Black. I guess that's all I need to say about that. Now, uh, now you know what? I know there's some coaches that are great teachers, and Coach Black did a good job. Uh, his passion was football. Um, but uh, we had a good time in science. In fact, I had him for two years. And uh, as we go on and on, I remember uh, Mrs. Holder, and, and really she represents a group of English teachers that, that we had at Broken Arrow High School that, that invested in their students and really turned us on to writing and to, to uh, exploring literature. In fact, when I came to OU, my, uh, my teacher at OU, there was a girl and I in class from Broken Arrow together that took, not together, but we, we ended up in the same class. Um, and, and our teacher said, you guys are so far ahead of everyone, We're, whatever you guys do will be the standard for the class. Because we had teachers in high school that invested in us and challenged us and influenced us in that way. And then as I went to seminary, I'll never forget a professor who, who called me in one day and said, Wade, um, you know, I don't know what your plans are after seminary, but, but I see some things in you and I'd really encourage you to pursue doctoral studies and to, to look at scripture and, and to find a way you can really study and, and apply yourself in some deeper ways. And I'll never forget that professor and his impact on me. And then as I got to, uh, to Baylor, a professor, a Dr. McGee, who, who really invested, he was my main professor, and how I got to know him, and he invested his, really his life and his, 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 just his way of approaching Scripture and, and understanding Scripture as we applied it to the difficult questions of life. And I look back and think of all the influence of these educators but I also step back and I remember Mr. Watkins. I think he was fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade Sunday school teacher. The first time I had a teacher that really connected with us outside of church 
And he said, you know what, guys? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come by and pick you up. Uh, I've talked to your parents. I'm going to come by and pick you up on a Friday night, and we're going to go eat pizza, and we're going to go bowling together. And a gentleman that invested in us as fifth graders, uh, in seventh grade, uh, Mr. Stevenson and Mr. Strother. Now, our, our group of seventh graders, we were quite a group. We were quite a group. <laughs> but these two men, they stuck with us through good and bad, through times we didn't want to listen and learn, to times where there were those brief moments where we were teachable. And I'll never forget their influence and their commitment to us. His grandson and my nephew played baseball together at times, and we had a chance to reconnect after I had entered into the pastorate, and, and we had a chance to talk one, at a baseball game one day, and he said, you know, I'm so proud, I'm so excited for what you're doing, and and I said, well, Mr. Strother, thank you for what you did for us. Now you invested in our lives. You see, we think of those teachers all through our lives, some at church, some at school, some in college, some just in, in the workforce. I'll never forget a, a mentor, a minister mentor who invested his life in me. He wasn't paid as a teacher, but he was a friend and a spiritual brother. Do you have those folks in your life? Do you remember back at the way they influenced and taught you. How, how you didn't know it at the time, but, but as you look back, you understand that they understood that it wasn't just about curriculum, but that they were teaching about life. I think that's what we see in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul connected with Timothy as a spiritual father. The scripture implies and indicates that it was, it was Paul who was a part of Timothy coming to faith. Paul got to know his, uh, Timothy's family. And through that relationship developed a, a, a mentoring, uh, what we call today a Paul-Timothy relationship. So let's look at these, these passages in 1 Timothy and 1 and 2 Timothy that kind of demonstrate that and, and bring that alive to us. The first thing I want us to understand is good teachers... Teachers impact lives. First Timothy 1-2 says, Paul says, Timothy, you're my true child in the faith. Look, look at 2 Timothy. Now, as you study 1 Timothy, you know Paul's got some things on his mind and it's, hey Paul, it, Paul, this is Paul, hey Timothy, and they get started. In 2 Timothy, Paul takes a little bit more time to reflect. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank God... Then he says, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way our, my forefathers did. Let's take out that dependent clause. I learned that in ninth grade, I think. Um, let's take out that, that clause and listen to what Paul says. I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. You see, teachers have a love for their students. They impact the lives of their students. They have an affection for their students, which is beautifully portrayed here in Paul's introductory sentences of this letter to Timothy. We've been reminded of that and, and seen in the midst of tragedy and horror, we've seen this truth demonstrated in the last year in our nation. As we heard the reports coming out from the, the horrific shooting at Sandy, Lake, Sandy Hook Elementary. One of the stories that kept coming out was about teachers 
who loved their students to the point of putting their own lives at risk, many of them giving their lives, covering their students to protect them from a madman, teachers who loved their students, that had an affection for their students. We heard stories about more teachers and other teachers who were were taking cover in the storms that approached our community just a few months ago. Students again, I'm sorry, teachers again, out of a love for their students, willing to sacrifice their lives, covering students with their own bodies, their own lives. You see, teachers impact the lives of their students. They understand that the content of their teaching is not limited to facts and to formulas, but that rather, in addition to knowledge, Teachers also teach about hope and life and, yes, even faith in just the way they live. As teacher to student, who was now a teacher, Paul warned Timothy, Timothy, be aware, avoid strange doctrines and myths and endless genealogies which lead to fruitless conversations and discussions, speculations, and worldly and empty chatter. You see, how much of our are we tempted today as teachers, whether we're teaching it at church or at school or teaching at home or, or teaching a neighbor, how often do we allow our teaching moments to end up in fruitless conversations? We talk about things that are just a waste of time. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, as you instruct, as you teach, focus on what is true and what is real and what is a part of the learning process. Teachers, there are teachers out there that are more concerned about their own fame and their own reputation. They stir confusion instead of knowledge as a way to draw attention to themselves. But good teachers understand that their task is impacting the lives of their students through knowledge and by creating a classroom environment that helps to mature the individual. Teachers impact lives. So much so that I would say the DNA of a teacher is love. Now in this context, certainly Paul and, and Timothy are talking about divine training. They're talking about what we call spiritual discipleship. But he goes on to say that the goal of this kind of teaching in verse 4 is love. Let's read verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is love. William Barclay translated this verse in this way. He said, the instruction I gave you is designed to produce love, which issues from a pure heart a good conscience, and an undissembling faith. The goal of my instruction is to produce love. In this context, to produce love of God, love of self, love of neighbor. Isn't that what all teachers do in some sense? Is they teach in a way that reflects love, that that inspires love? Every good teacher knows that while students must master, master the curriculum, that their learning environment is critical to the learning process and how students are shaped and influenced 
in and beyond the classroom. Especially with children, we must instruct the mind and inspire the heart. What if our teachers kind of took this example and and applied it in their own context? That their goal was to instruct love, forming and shaping students that can love God and themselves and others as they learn and as they apply truth and knowledge in their minds. Paul reminds Timothy how this is possible with these three phrases that he views. Let's talk about them. To teach love from what? From a pure heart. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This idea, this concept of pure in heart means to be clean, to be cleansed from all, all chaff. It, it's opposite of that which is dirty or soiled. It's that which is purified without any mixture of impure motives or pride. Just for one particular application today, teachers, do you approach your students with a purity of heart? You look over your classroom and and you have students from all different walks of life, socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of different intellectual uh, abilities and capabilities and experiences. Some are are real challenges in the classroom. Some are, boy, I wish I had a classroom like with all these kids. Do you approach each student with a purity of heart? Isn't it interesting that that what Jesus says is that, that when our heart is pure, we shall see God. I wonder if if we approached our students with this goal in mind, with a a purity of heart, that we could see that that reflection of the image of God within them. So that when we get frustrated with them or we get angry at them, we, we still are reminded, you know, God, allow me with a purity of heart not to be biased against this person or that person, not to be prejudiced towards this one or that one. How how could I approach this student with a purity of heart that I might see you in their lives? That would change and motivate the way we teach. But he goes on, he says that we're to teach love from a good conscience. Teachers, do you teach with a good conscience? Do you teach to teach with a good conscience means that we're able to, to look at the knowledge that we share and to not be ashamed of it in any way. This word good conscience literally means to know with oneself. It means to speak with integrity the content and the character that one is trying to teach and to model and to develop. Teachers, do you have a good conscience in what you're teaching and how you're teaching? Finally, love is to be from a sincere faith. This phrase speaks of the sincerity of the teacher in their desire to know and to teach and to live the truth. Again, it's not just faith. It speaks of a sincerity of faith. Teachers must be without hypocrisy. Acknowledging their own doubts and limitations as is appropriate with the classroom setting, the students that they're working with. It's interesting that in recent years, faith and education have been seen as adversarial. In the 80s and early 90s, the big, the big topic of conversation was value-free education. The reality is, is that education and faith are inseparable. And good teachers understand the role of faith in the teaching process. Now let's look to the end of Timothy's letter, chapter 6. Timothy is full of all kinds of instructions, particularly towards 
the church and, and the administration of the church that, that Timothy is leading. But we come back to this idea of, I think, of being a teacher. And Paul's instruction to Timothy is, again, as he instructs and teaches his congregation and the leaders in his church, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Just briefly, look at these qualities and characteristics that, that go beyond the curriculum, but I think for a good teacher, create an atmosphere, create a context in which learning takes place. First of all, teachers, nurture humility. I would go beyond, I, I would say, instruct those who are rich in this present world to, certainly that, that means that means wealth. But, but maybe in your classroom context, it can mean those who, who are really, really smart and, and those who really seem to have every benefit that this world has to offer as they come into your classroom. Maybe what, one of the things you could create in their lives would be to nurture humility. Nurture humility in them as you teach and instruct them. Secondly, and, and to fix their hope on the uns, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Seems like good teachers should inspire hope. Especially teachers in, in well, all teachers. How tragic it is to have a, a young student, especially a grade school or middle school student that, that has already come into your classroom, already determined in life that there's no hope that life's really not worth living. Why, why, what is life and why am I here? And, and, and there's just despair and hopelessness. Teachers, you know, as I'm speaking, you have faces that you're putting with these folks. Inspire hope in them. Some of them you know come from situations and settings and families where they have no hope. And maybe in your classroom, through your relationship, you can inspire something new in their lives. Hope that leads them to a bright, brighter future. Next, cultivate good works. As I said, my fifth grade teacher, she was all about teaching us guys how to have good manners, how to open the doors as people would go through and need that. She cultivated good works. How can you do that in your classroom? How can you inspire and cultivate good works amongst your students? We're to foster generosity. Yes, generosity in, in our finances, but also of our time, of our abilities. Create opportunities for our students to volunteer, to give of themselves with nothing expected in return. Well, why are we doing this? Are we going to get paid? No, it's not a fundraiser. We're just going to give and we're going to, we're going to foster generosity because it's the, the right thing to do. Next, encourage sharing. Sharing is an issue of stewardship. It's, it's recognizing that this really isn't mine, but that I'm a steward of it. And as part of good stewardship is learning how to share with others and how to use what I have in a way that maximizes its use here in this place. Lastly, do we build for the future? Certainly it's related to hope. Notice this last line. Help students to begin storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Teachers, you're, you're adding building blocks to their foundation, 
to the life that they're creating. Help them to understand that so that they can build for the future. Regardless of how, how troubled the past is or how difficult the present is, help them to understand that today they can begin to build for the future. As we read the end of that passage, verse 19, I find it interesting that Paul says this, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Again, education is more than just curriculum. It's more than just facts and formula. It's about enabling and allowing students to take hold of that which is life indeed. Oh, the calling of the teacher is great and wonderful and awe-inspiring. As you learn to love your students, as you learn to invest in them and to instruct them, certainly in the curriculum, but as you also inspire them for the life that God has called them to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the teachers that have influenced and nurtured us in our lives. And Father, today, may we be those kinds of teachers. Father, may the instruction that Paul offered Timothy, may, may that just sit in our own hearts and our minds. May we meditate on it. May it just become a part of us. And may we inspire students, whether that's just a mentoring relationship that we have, or whether it's a formal relationship of teacher and student in a school. Father, each one of us are teachers in some way. Allow us to be inspired and encouraged through your word today. This morning, the altar is open for those that would come, that would recommit their lives to the Lord, that would, would want to share what God is doing, that would just want to offer a prayer before the Lord. God, inspire me to be the teacher you've called me to be.